All right. Everybody doing good? Everybody good today? Beautiful day. Well, just uh, to kind of get into it um, this morning, you know, um, anytime you, you join an organization or, or become a member of something, there, there's, there's things that go along with that, right? There's expectations. Um, if you get a certain job, if you are a certain employee uh, in, in a company or, or for the government, there's expectations. There's things that come along with that. Uh, there's things that, that, that go along with it. Just to give you an example, if you were a Supreme Court judge... There's expectations that come along with that, right? Sometimes those aren't met, but there are expectations that come with that. If you're a police officer, there are expectations that come with that. There are things that are expected of you when you are in uniform and when you are out of uniform. Uh, if, you, if you were to join a fraternity at a, at a university or college, there are, there are things that come along with that. There are obligations that you're expected to fulfill, Things you're expected to live up to, things you're expected to do, maybe things you have to do to get into the fraternity, but but certainly things that come along with that, right? If you're going to be a member of of pretty much anything, there are things that go along with that, and and uh, you think of of if you if you um, up and move to another country and you you want to take citizenship in another country, if you if you didn't live here and you decided to move to the United States and and become a a, a, a citizen of the United States. There are obligations to that. There are, there's things you're obligated to, laws that you're obligated to obey and follow. You as a, as a, a citizen of the United States, there's, there's things you're obligated to kind of just go along with. It just comes with it, right? Well, that's a little bit, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Because for three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul has just laid out amazing, amazing doctrine. And really laid out for us, given us a picture of what our position, what our identity is in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. Over and over and over. We see that from from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through the first three chapters of Ephesians. This is who you are. Not because of you, but because of Christ. You are this. And we're going to go through that in a minute and just kind of re-go through it. But as we, as we get to chapter 4, there's a turning point in the book that, that moves now from identity, that moves from doctrine into practice. And so that's where we're at in this book, and that's where we're going to be going. But for the first three chapters, Paul has, has written about our position. And, and if you weren't here last week, I, I want to apologize, first of all, um, because um, the, the, the sermon was not recorded. If you weren't here, Tony Romano preached last week, and it was amazing. I mean, it was amazing. It was, it was so good. And I don't say that for those of you um, who weren't here to feel worse. It just really, really was. I mean, if you were here, it was just so good. It was so good for me. It was just it was a blessing. It was a blessing. But, um, but in that, if you were here, you, you, you heard this already, but I thought it's so important. I want to repeat it. Um, and this is his words, Okay. Just my voice, all right? Uh, but he went through, he did such a great job going through the first, second, and third chapters and, and really our, the promises and the position that we have in Christ, our identity in Christ. And he went through that. I want to read through that for you. Uh, I actually called him and asked him if he'd send me a, a transcript of, of what he had preached last week. And, uh, and as he went through, what, what, what we were reminded of was that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That God made us holy and blameless. 
that in love he predestined us for adoption as his sons. That he's given us redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. That we have obtained an an eternal inheritance. That we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that inheritance. That the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work inside of us. He's placed all things in subjection to Christ. That when we were dead in trespasses and sins, God made us alive with Christ. He has raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places. He will lavish his immeasurable grace on us in the coming ages. That he has saved us by grace through faith. That he has prepared us for good works. That we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. That Jesus himself is our peace that we have access in one spirit to the Father, that we're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, that Jesus is our cornerstone, that we're being built together in him as a dwelling place for God by his spirit, that we're partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ, that through us, through this one new body, the manifold wisdom of God will now be made known that God has realized his eternal purpose in Christ. Uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3. Just, there's just so much unbelievable truth for you and for me in those chapters. And, and honestly, we could just spend the rest of our time, not just this time we've set aside here, we could spend the rest of our days just going over that and over that, and over that, and over that, and over that, and, and it would be so good for us. Because the truth is, as we get to chapter 4 and the turning point in this book, it's impossible for us to live out everything that goes from chapter 4, verse 1, through the end of the book, without us knowing, without us seeing, without us understanding our position, our identity in Christ. The truth that we get, the promises that we get from chapters 1, 2, and 3 are what enable us to be able to to walk in what we see in in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Because it's all God. It's all Christ. The thing is, if if we do, if we understand, if... And and, and again, I want to remind you of this over and over and over because I know how we are. I know how I am. And it's easy to, to make commitments and to get excited about something and then kind of just fall off and, 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 and forget about it maybe or, or, or just think, you know, maybe I need to do this instead or whatever. But remember at the beginning of this, we were, we were committing. We're going to read through this every week. We want to read through this book every week. It's just one chapter a day of Ephesians. And whatever your other reading is, continue with that. But just one extra chapter, read a chapter of Ephesians every day, and then you'll read through it every week before we come together. And the reason that I think it's so important is because of everything I just mentioned. To get in our heads, to get in our hearts the truth of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Just if, if we could just get that in our hearts, if we could just believe it, then we would begin to see that we would be walking 
in everything that we're going to see in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Because the truth of that will enable and empower and, and, and fill us with a passion because of God, because of what He's done. And if we just see what He's done and believe what He's done for us, how could we not want to walk in His ways? And to know that we have Christ and the Holy Spirit inside of us to empower us and to enable us to live in that is just amazing. It's just amazing. So I want to encourage you again to, to go back through it. But Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to look. And we're just going to look at one verse today. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Let me pray. Father, you're so good to us. As we think back over the message last week, as we think back over these last three chapters of the book of Ephesians, you are so worthy. You're so good to us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And you made us alive in Christ Jesus. We praise you. And we need you in this time. I pray, God, I pray for my own heart. I pray for every person that's in this room. Lord, that you would help us. Help us to believe the truths that we have looked at over these last chapters. Help us to embrace the greatness of those truths, the power that is at work within us. And as we embrace those things, as we believe those things, as you work those things continually in us, God, I pray that you would help us to walk, even as this verse says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the verse starts off, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. That word therefore is our transition point, okay, in the midst of the, the book here. We've got Ephesians 1, 2, 3. Paul says, I therefore, and that's the transition. That's the turning point for the whole book. From, from, from chapter 1 through the end of chapter 3, we've been talking about our identity in Christ. We've been talking about doctrine. And, 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 and the promises that, that have been made for us and the things that have been accomplished by Christ for us. So we've been talking doctrine through chapters 1, 2, and 3. And here at this, therefore, at the beginning of chapter 4, therefore, since chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 is true, then this, okay? And so this is our turning point. And Paul does this in other places. He does it in several other places. Just to look at another one, uh, if you flip backwards more towards the beginning of the New Testament to Romans, the beginning of chapter 12. If you're familiar with the book of Romans, you know that it's, there, there are parts of the book of Romans that are just heavy. And really, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 is all doctrine. It's just doctrine, 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 doctrine. These incredible truths about God. 
And so from the beginning of Romans all the way through the end of chapter 11, Paul's just like in Ephesians. He's laying out this doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And then he gets to the turning point in Romans. And that's the beginning of chapter 12, where he transitions from doctrine to practice. In chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, since everything in chapter 1 through chapter 11 is true, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's the transition in the book of Romans. Going from doctrine to practice. And it's similar to what we have here in Ephesians chapter 4. We've been talking about doctrine. We've been talking about our identity. We've been talking about these amazing things that Christ has accomplished for us on our behalf. Things that we could never have accomplished. And now we get to chapter 4 and he says, I therefore. And there's a transition from doctrine to practice. And so for the rest of the the book of Ephesians, we're going to be speaking more practically, looking back on and looking inwardly at the truths of chapters one, two, and three. We're going to keep going over those because they're so important. And and that's what Paul's saying here at the beginning of of, of verse uh, one of chapter four, that therefore is because of the truthfulness of chapters one, two, and three. And so as we go through these, we want to continue to look at all that we have in Christ because we have no hope of chapter four, five, and six if we don't understand the hope that we have in Christ. And so here's our transition. Here's the thing is, is um, that I want us to learn from this. And the reason we look at Romans and we could look at Colossians and Philippians and those, those other letters that he writes where he, he transitions in them. But the reason I do that is because we need to learn something from this. Okay. I, I talk about doctrine up here and, 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 and encourage all of us that we need to learn doctrine. We need to study it. We need to be in. And, and, and I don't, I, I continue to say that. That's why at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, Paul goes through and he gives us doctrine. He gives us these important truths about God. In Romans, there's 11 chapters of unbelievable, amazing doctrine. But there has to be a transition in our lives too, just like there is in the letter, where we take this doctrine and we don't just store it in our heads. We don't just memorize it, but there has to be this transition of living it out. And that's what Paul's saying here when he says, I therefore, because of everything that's true in chapters one, two and three, what he's saying is it's not just good enough to know these things. If we know them in our heads and in our hearts, they ought to launch us into living them. We ought to be a living in a way that glorifies God because of what he's already done. And so it's not just good enough to memorize things about God. In fact, in our, in, uh, in our life group, we're, we're going through the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And, and he makes a great, great point on that in, in, in chapter 2 where, where he talks about uh, how, how many people who are in church just learn so many things about God, but they never know God. They just know about him. And if all we're doing is just memorizing the things that that are said in chapters one, two and three and not embracing them with our hearts. We're not going to live them out. But if we do embrace them with our hearts, what we're going to find is we're only going to want to live them out. As I embrace more and more and more in my heart that I've been blessed by God. In the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. 
is I embrace more and more in my heart that God, the God of the universe, chose me in him before the foundation of the world. I want to walk in his ways. I want to serve him, not because of who I am, but because of what he did. Because of what he accomplished. Because of his love for me. So that's where we get to in the book of Ephesians here. Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. And he mentions that he's a prisoner again. He mentions his chains again. In fact, I want you to go um, just a few pages to the right in your Bible to a Philippians. It's the next book of the Bible, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read several verses here just to kind of give us another taste of where he's writing from and his perspective as he's in chains and writing this to us. In Philippians 1, starting with verse 19, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Now, just real quick, uh, Paul's writing this from the same place he wrote Ephesians and chains. Okay, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The reason I read that for you is Paul's writing it from the same place. He's, he's writing it imprisoned. He's in chains. And if you notice partway through it in, in uh, verse 27, he says something to the Philippians very similar to what he says to the Ephesians in, in chapter 4 verse 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so I think why Paul mentions again in chapter 4, verse 1, his chains is this. He's saying to the people, I get it. I totally understand. I know what I'm calling you to. When I write to you and say, walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel or walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called, I understand what I'm calling you to. I understand what Christ is calling to you, you to. I'm in chains because of the gospel. I'm in chains for the Lord. But it's worth it. It's worth what I'm enduring. It's worth the, pers- worth the persecution. It's worth the suffering. It's worth the sickness. It's worth the chains. It's worth all of it. And so I'm writing you as a prisoner of the Lord, one who understands what it may bring to you, what it may cause your body, what it may cause your heart, what it may cause your family, what it may cause you. I'm writing as someone who understands that. And I'm telling you to walk because he's worthy of it. 
He's worthy of these chains. He's worthy of suffering. He's worthy of all of those things. Christ is worthy. Why? Because of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. Because of all that we have in Christ, he's worthy. So he says, I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. Acts 20, 24 says, Paul, this, this, this mentality of Paul where he says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's worth it, Paul says. It's worth it. No matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to you, I am I'm urging you to walk in this way. Just as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you i implore you paul's literally pleading with the ephesian believers he's pleading with us why because it matters right it matters how i walk it matters how i live it matters the decisions that i make i mean james in chapter 2 verse 14 he says what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works what good is that what good is it is if we, if we start this, this, this book of Ephesians and, 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 and Tony says, you know what, we should read it every week. Let's commit to do that. And some of you, I'm going to encourage you to, to memorize it. To go through and memorize as much of the book of Ephesians. And, and you embrace that and you say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to memorize the book of Ephesians. And you start this process. And, and maybe you did. Maybe you started the process. And who knows? Maybe you got five verses. Maybe you're through chapter one. Maybe you're through chapter two. Maybe, you, maybe you're right with us. And, 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 and we've preached through three chapters. And you've memorized three chapters. Maybe you're there. And you've, you've put that in your head. But what Paul's saying is, I'm, I'm pleading with you to walk in it. Because it means nothing if I just memorize a bunch of verses but I'm not walking in this. If I don't believe it enough that it affects my life, that it affects my decisions, that it affects the things that I do, the places that I go, the people that I talk to, and how I talk to them, if it doesn't affect my life, then it's meaningless. That's what James is saying in James 2. What good is that? If I, if I say that I have faith, but I have no works to back up that faith, what good is that? My response to what I know to be God's amazing work matters. How I respond to that matters. And so Paul is urging, he's imploring, he's pleading with us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Here's the thing, too, as we, as we go through that, what is, what is he meaning by walking in a manner worthy of the calling? This should be the heart of every single one of us who are a follower of Christ. Not just a guy who's in chains and, and writing a letter, but this should be our heart for every single person sitting around us. Every person. As a part of the body of Christ, we should long that this be true in ourselves and in those around us. That when we look at the people that we, we come in contact with week in, day in, and day out as a part of the body of Christ that we would literally look at them and urge them and implore them and plead with them to walk in this way. This is not just something that, 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 that an apostle has a heart of. This is what 
every believer should have in their heart. That I should love you, you should love me, we should love each other enough and desire that all of us be walking in this way and pleading with each other, pleading with each other that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Notice he says there, I urge you to walk. That, that word gives us an idea of a consistent day-by-day moving in the grace and in the work of Christ. It's not, not just me and what I can accomplish. That, again, you've got to hear me on this. As we go from chapter 4, verse 1, through the end of chapter 6, if you separate this from chapter 1, 2, 3, you're going to die. You're going to die. Because if you get in your mind that Paul says, you have to do this on your own, you're going to die. You can't do it on your own. That's why he laid out chapter 1, 2, and 3 first. That Christ has already accomplished all of this for us and put himself inside of us to empower us to walk in this way. And so you've got to keep this all in in context as we go through it. But what he's saying is, I'm encouraging you, I'm imploring you to walk in a consistent day-by-day walking, moving in the grace and the work of Christ, what he's already accomplished. To walk in that. Paul says, Christ has made you alive. God has positioned you with Christ, so walk. You probably heard that expression, you know, that guy or that girl doesn't just talk the talk, she walks the walk, right? That's that kind of picture that we get here. We don't want to be people who are just going around and and, and saying the right things. And a lot of us know the right things to say. A lot of us have the right things in our mouths. We know how to respond to to certain uh, Christian questions or even doctrinal questions. We want to go into a big word and, and you can ask me a doctrinal question even and I can answer that. But are we walking those truths out? Are we living in that? When we, when we say that Christ is all, are we living Christ is all? No, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm urging you, I'm imploring you that you walk in that way. How are we called to walk? In a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is that calling? What is that calling to which we've been called? In chapter 1, again, verses 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Chapter 2, you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, and in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. 
What is this calling to which we've been called? It's that. That God looked from eternity past. I mean, do, we, do we even get this? As I, as I sat down and, and, and thought through this, and thought through this, this urging of Paul and, and, and him pleading with, with me to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, why do I need to be pleaded with? Do I just stop and think for one minute that the God of the universe looked at me and my sin from eternity past, says before the foundations of the world, that he looked at me and said, I choose you. I pick you. I love you. This is, this is not some like junior high dance we're talking about here. Where some guy with pimples comes across the room and just says, hey, you want to, I pick you, you want to dance with me? This is, I, I feel like we treat it as like that level sometimes. Well, that's pretty cool. The God of the universe. The God of the universe who has nothing, nothing that's forcing him to do this out of his own love, looks and says, I choose you. I pick you. And I'm going to send my son to demonstrate my love for you. And he's going to be tortured and beaten and killed. He's going to rise again. Because I pick you. The God of the universe. The God of the universe did that. And yet Paul is here pleading with us to walk in, in, in a way that responds to that. Why does he have to plead with us? That's what I ask myself. Why, why is Paul having to plead with me on that? Why don't I just look at that, like he's saying to do, why don't I just look at that and just say, what else can I do with my life? What a waste. What a waste to do anything but walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling, Lord. What a waste. is walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling. That word worthy here, the, the root meaning of that word is, is balancing the scales. So the picture that Paul gives us is, is that one side of the scale should be equal in weight to what is on the other side of the scale. Now picture that. You take everything from chapter 1, 2, and 3 and put it on one side of the scale. And Paul says walk in a manner that equals that out. What? What's the worth of that? That's what he's saying. How much is that worth? How much is it worth to you? What does that weigh? As you look at chapters 1, 2, and 3, and, and just the amazing goodness and truth and, and just love of God that's laid out in chapters 1, what is that worth? Our daily living ought to correspond to our high position as a child of God. As a fellow heir with Christ, our practical living should should match our spiritual position. That's what he's saying. He says, walk in a in a manner that that's worthy of that calling. And as you think about that, you know, just moments ago, as we as we talked through that, that that whole idea that God would look and say, I love you. Honestly, just taking a moment, okay? In your own hearts and minds, just the silently before the Lord. What is that worth to you? 
as Paul asks us that, to walk in a manner worthy, then, then just asking yourselves, as you think through the truth of chapter 1, 2, and 3, what, what is that worth to you? God of the universe looked at you in your sinfulness and said, I choose you. I can't, I can't as a person think of anything greater than that. But in this, Paul says, walk in a manner that, that shows the worth of that. It shows the value of the worth of, of all that. Is that how you're walking? Is that, is that the way you're living? Is, are you walking in a manner that's worthy of the calling? that's looking at all that Christ has, has done for you and walking in response to that in a way that corresponds to the value of that. And, and if you're not, why not? Why are we not walking that way? Why am I not walking that way if, if I'm not? Why, why are you not walking that way? We can. Uh, hear me, hear me, okay? Don't, don't get this the wrong way. You in your flesh cannot. Okay? You cannot do that. But we've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're alive in Christ Paul tells us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is working in us and for us. The end of chapter 3, what, what Tony talked about last week, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, but not that. He can't, he can't help me walk in a manner that's worthy of of his calling, yes, he can. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul's urging us, walk in that way. And if we're not walking in that way, then we have to evaluate. And, and what is the worth of chapters 1, 2? Maybe I, need to, maybe I need to get alone with the Lord and read through that again in chapter 1 and just spend it like Paul does. Remember, verses 3 through 14 are just this one long sentence of worship. And it's just Paul responding over and over and over again to God, for God and all that we have in Christ, to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glory over and over and over because of, of our position in Christ. And Paul's just going over and over and saying, it's all you, God. It's all you. Maybe we need to do that. With Paul, maybe we just need to, as we leave today, maybe we just need to go find a place and take this first and second and third chapter of Ephesians again and just go through it prayerfully. And, and thank you, God, that, that you have blessed me in Christ with every spiritual blessing to the praise of you, not of me. I didn't do anything. You just called me out of darkness into your marvelous light. And go through and, and worship him as you go through it. Maybe you need to do that. But whatever it is, we've we got to figure this is a me problem, not a Christ problem. Because he's already solved the problem. 
And so I'm not walking in him. I'm just not walking in truth. Because I know from chapters 1, 2, and 3 that the truth is I've been credited or I've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That I know that the truth is that I've been made alive with Christ Jesus. I know that the truth is that the same power, the same power that, that raised Christ from death to life, that same power is at work in me. I know that that's true. And so if I'm not, if I'm not walking in that, it's, it's a me problem. It's a faith issue. It's a belief issue. It's a me not coming and, 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 and giving and daily, daily coming before the Lord, acknowledging and, and giving myself minute by minute by minute by minute by minute to these truths. Paul says, in light of our position in Christ, and this position is amazing, I urge you as one who understands, as a prisoner, imprisoned for him, I urge you to walk daily in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Here's what I want to do, okay? Because there's there's so much more. I mean, <laughs> chapter 4, verse 1, and it just is beautiful as we go through the rest of the book. But here's what I want to do as, as, we, um, as we get into this, this whole section of, of living out this amazing, amazing, amazing gospel that we've been given. What I want us to do is just take some time. We're going to sing in just a moment. But um, whether you want, you know, if you want to do this as a family or you want to do this on your own, I encourage you, if you're, if you're with your family, just, just do this as a family. Um, but however you want to do this before the Lord, uh, we're just going to spend some moments praying uh, with and for each other, okay? Um, and just take time praying through this. Responding to, to, to the, the truth of chapter 1, 2, and 3 first. And just like Paul, just saying, thank you. Praise you, God. You're good. And just worshiping him as you pray. And then asking for you and, and, and maybe for your, your spouse and your kids or whatever, however you, you do that. Just asking that we would get it, first of all. We get it, that we just look at chapters 1, 2, and 3 and the best that our human mind can, that we would just, by the Spirit, just say yes, thank you but then that we would walk in a manner that's worthy of that. That we wouldn't be okay with just acknowledging the amazing things that Christ has done and then just going on with our own separate life, but that we would, in love with him, respond in a way that's worthy of that. And so just take a few minutes, um, pray, and, and as you lead your families, okay, just pray out loud, okay? And that's fine, and um, God's really good at hearing like different people at the same time. And so... Uh, he'll work that out and, and just pray, okay?